All right, everyone. Welcome back into another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast. Got plenty going on on the pro side of things. Uh, in a different podcast, we broke down Beaver Banter. We talked about uh, college hockey tournament. We talked about the Minnesota State Hockey Tournament and all that going down there. Um, so go check that out uh, after you listen to this. Uh, once again, Ian Rivers is joining, and uh, we're going to break down some pro sports uh, stuff going on. How's it going, Ian? Pretty good. I'm ready to dive into these pro sports. All right. So uh, diving right into, uh, you got the wild jersey on. So uh, dive right into uh, the wild. They uh, lost a tough one in San Jose last night. Just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, things didn't go so well in San Jose this time around. Um, only took one point from that weekend, or not weekend, but a midweek series against the Sharks. And it's kind of disappointing. San Jose is a little bit down in the Western Conference, uh, the Honda West. But um you know, we need to get something figured out with this team because they're, they're still playing good. And, and Kaprizov even got a goal last night. He's been a little off lately. Um, I, I think, you know, barring a cataclysmic, you know, fall off, this team's probably going to be fine. Um, we're in a really good spot. Third place right now in the West. We're, we're you know, um, a solid six points ahead of fourth place and then a seven points ahead of uh the Coyotes in fifth, and we have games in hand on both those teams. Um, so, like I said, barring a cataclysmic fall off, um, I think we'll be fine. But two really not not good games, uh, especially in such a big time, big point in the season. You got a couple games now. Got to go into Vegas. Um, I believe do they play tonight or are, are tonight, they playing yeah. tomorrow? Yeah, they played tonight already in Vegas against a arrested Vegas team. So that'll be a, a tough game. That's why I think last night's game was way more important because this is going to be such a tough game now, especially coming off a loss. Hopefully they come out motivated and can continue uh, some of the success they've had this year against Vegas already. But yeah. um, and I think it's going to be tough. Yeah. And I think, you know, just kind of, this is kind of how the wild have been. I mean, it's just how hockey's been. I know it's not the full season, but there are ups and downs when you go through the wild have had that kind of trademarked, um, kind of their trademarked, you know, up and down where they have the point where they play like they're one of the best teams in hockey. And then they have a stretch where all of a sudden it looks like they're a team that's in shambles. And I'm not saying that the wild are at this point yet, but uh, you know, there's just highs and lows uh, kind of peaks and valleys through the season. But like you said, these are points that, you know, come the end of the season, the wild are really going to wish they had. So um, I, I, you know, I, I think, just kind of so far, Kaprizov with another uh, good goal last night. Just kind of talk about uh, his case for uh, the NHL's Rookie of the Year. Yeah, it's a good case. I mean, he's played phenomenally. And he, he hasn't been, you know, scoring as much over the past six, seven games since that Colorado series that we got absolutely blown out about a week ago. But um, I, I still think he's probably in a good spot for that, for the Rookie of the Year award. Um, I, I He's such a good talent. He's a great skater. He's a good puck handler. He's a good shooter. I mean, all around, uh, we haven't seen a player like this in Minnesota in a very, very long time. Uh, it's exciting to see what he's doing as a rookie, and hopefully he can take a couple steps forward. Um, I know, you know, there's there's people on the radio that I've been listening to that have just been playing, I think, a little bit of devil's advocate. Obviously, they probably want him to succeed because it's local guys. But um, – you know, after the last couple of games, they're saying, you know, maybe maybe Kaprizov has peaked. He's already been playing professionally in Russia for so long. Um, maybe we've seen all we can see out of him, and maybe his improvement level uh, isn't going to be that great. That could be true. I don't know. You know, he's been playing professional hockey. No, obviously, I think the NHL is a little bit of a step up from the KHL. But um, 
you know, he probably won't improve as much as some of the other rookies might. Um, but that's maybe why he's the front runner to win it because he's already above the level of where those rookies are now. So I'm not saying that he's going to necessarily be a worse player in the, in the long run than anybody else. Um, I'm just saying that maybe um, don't expect a huge jump year to year like you would from from a lot of rookies just coming out of college hockey like uh, Matt Boldy, who just signed the other day from Boston College for the Wild. Yeah, and and I think too, you know, if this is all, if this, if Kaprizov doesn't take that next step, I think he's still a very good hockey player and still somebody that the Wild can build around. It's kind of this new core. Some of these prospects are starting to work their way up, and you can kind of see it. It's kind of the changing of the guard that he kind of needed. We're moving slowly but surely away from the Parisi Suter (laughs) era and trying to move in to that next era of Wild hockey. Um, and I think it will be capped by guys like Kaprizov and just kind of as they try and build uh, kind of to that next stage. Um, and I guess uh, just kind of the wild obviously made that move. They brought in the the BC kid and just kind of talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Matt Boldy signing his entry level contract with the wild. I think most of this year he's going to spend in Iowa. Uh, they're going to use it mostly as a burn year because especially, you know, being in a good spot in the playoffs, I don't really know where you'd put him in the roster right now. Um, we, we need a centerman. Uh, and that's one thing that hopefully they're going to look at in the, as the trade deadline approaches, um, because that's one of the reasons that our power play has been absolutely atrocious this year. Uh, cause what's the best way to set up uh, a power play in the offensive zone It's to win that initial face off. Uh, sometimes when you don't win that initial face off, it might take you a minute at some points, even to get uh, set up on the power play. Uh, if you win that, that initial face off, you, you're so much better in the power play. That's one big thing. And, and face-offs in general, we just can't win right now. So hopefully we can find a centerman somewhere on the trade market um, with at least a year or more, I would say, on his contract so that we have time uh, maybe to re- renegotiate that uh, after the season. But overall, I think Boldy's going to be a good player. He, he reminds me a little bit of a, a bigger Zach Parisi. Um, I watched him a couple games. He had a phenomenal World Juniors uh, for Team USA, uh, and then he, he, you know, he played all right. He scored a goal against St. Cloud State um, in that loss in the NCAA hockey tournament, and he he played okay in the. Uh, I watched him play two games in their conference tournament, the Hockey East tournament as well. Uh, he played pretty well there. Obviously, they had a cataclysmic collapse in the third period against UMass Lowell, but we won't talk about that. We already touched on it, but. Um, I, I think he's he's another really good prospect. I think he was a top 10 draft pick for the Wild. Uh, we got some pretty good young guys coming in. I'm, I'm excited for the future of this team. We're in third right now, and I think, you know, third is better than anybody predicted the Wild would be in uh, this year. I, I think they're thinking we were going to fight for that fourth spot, just being, you know, so competitive. And I think it's going to be disappointing at the end of the year if we lose out in the first round of the playoffs for some people, just knowing that we were, you know, a half point away from being that top spot in the West at one point this season, but that's early in the season. It changes so much. And I think realistic uh, standards making the playoffs this year, having a solid competitive season, it's going to be so big for these guys come down the stretch, these young players. Yeah. And talking about Boldy, um, there's been some speculation that maybe, you know, if the wild do make the playoffs that they could kind of pull an Alex Kirilov like the twins did and just bring him up just to kind of, you know, try and shake things up, bring a fresh kid kind of in there um, and kind of do that. Um, You know, do you think that there's a chance that the wild would pull him up come playoff time? Uh, Yes, I do think there's a chance. It's going to depend a a little bit on a couple different variables. Obviously if there's a bunch of injuries on the roster come playoff time, that's one way he, he could see his way 
uh, up onto the natural roster. Um, but I think a lot of these guys are, are clicking with their line mates right now. Uh, it's been so hard. You can't separate Kaprizov and Zuccarello this year. Um, and, and since Johansson's come back from injury, him and Fiala have really clicked. And I think that's one thing um, that Fiala has been struggling with um, because he didn't have a, a good line mate that he trusted that he's skating with. And then Johansson comes back. And I think Fiala scored three goals since Johansson has come back from injury. Um, and then obviously guys like Greenway and Parisi on that line, uh, once Parisi comes back from injury, that'll be huge. Um, and Felino, those are two big injuries right now. So I think, you know, I, you know, you hate to blame losses on, on injuries, but having Parisi and Felino both out, Felino is such a big help on the ice and off the ice for the energy of that locker room and everything. Um, so I, I think missing him, especially for that St. Louis or San Jose series was big. Yeah. And uh, kind of with that, just kind of switching gears now um, to another team that uh, is having, uh, you know, mentioning Alex Kirilov, uh, the Minnesota Twins have their opening day today. Um, Alex Kirilov, top prospect in the twin system, uh, was called up come playoff time, um, had, I believe, just a couple at bats, got his first major league hit. Um, although I don't think it technically counts in his overall hit total because of the postseason, uh, but uh, either way, made his big league debut, uh, got some action, um, and didn't make the opening day roster. Um, that was kind of a shock to a lot of Twins fans, and neither did prospect Brent Rooker, who uh, uh, got called up during the regular season. Um, you know, uh, had showed a little bit, kind of a flash of that potential. He's a big power big power guy uh, coming out of Mississippi state uh, would just blasted through the sec when he was in college um, and just kind of uh, you know, those two guys didn't make their, those two guys didn't make the opening day roster. A lot of, you know, people cried cheap pole ads. A lot of people cried service time manipulation. And look, maybe that did play a little bit into it, but the fact is, is that Alex Kirloff, and that's kind of the big case um, just didn't hit the spring. He had an average of uh, 100, um, Brent Rooker struck out 15 times uh, in limited spring action. That's the kind of Rooker's biggest critique so far as a young big leaguers that he needs to make more contact. Um, and basically those two guys just showed that they weren't quite ready to make the opening day roster. And the twins are, they have a lot of depth. I mean, Luis Arise is getting the opening day start in left field. Um, his defense in left field is limited, but so is Rooker's. Um, Kirilov is the guy who's really going to take that spot long-term. Um, now, whether it's in June, whether it's in late April, whether it's at the all-star break, whatever, he's going to be there at some point. Rooker will get up to the big leagues at some point, but, and I wrote an article about this in zone coverage, uh, but just kind of talking about how you don't have to rush these guys, guys like Car Kyle Garlic, um, who was a kind of a minor league roster invitee, um, led the, led the twins with home runs this spring. Um, just kind of showing up, uh, and kind of coming out of nowhere. And the twins are like, okay, well, he's hitting better right now. The twins have valued uh, spring training success so far, or at least this year. And they kind of said, you know what, we got some, you know, arise can play left. Garlic can play left. Um, K Jake cave is always there. He can kind of fill that spot. We have guys who are hitting well. And one thing about Kirilov is he hasn't had a single at bat at triple a. Um, so he's going to start the season in St. Paul. He, uh, uh, was in double a in 2019 and obviously no minor league season last year with the pandemic. So he spent a lot of it in St. Paul. Um, and now he's going to spend a little bit more time there. Uh, and I think that's probably best overall. You don't want to rush guys because, 
and again, I mentioned this in the article, the twins rushed Byron Buxton in 2015 because they thought that they, they wanted to capitalize on the competitive team that they had that year um, being a 90 plus loss team for a year for about the last three or four years before that finally had a good roster. Um, so they wanted to take advantage of that thought. Maybe Buxton could be that spark. Couldn't hit anything. Uh, couldn't hit a curveball. Just couldn't catch up with the fastball. Basically just couldn't make any contact struck out a lot. And for the next kind of 20s and for 2015 and 2016, it was just going up and down uh, from AAA and the major leagues. And Buxton was the number two overall pick in 2012. Uh, this big prospect twins fans have been hoping for, for years. Um, and he hadn't shown up. And then it, I mean, it took him until about halfway through 2017 to really get his comp to really kind of see that develop. And then he got injured and he really kind of didn't see it until 2019 but uh, I think basically it's like you can't rush some of these guys because if you call them up right away and they struggle and then you send them back down, well, now what? Now you have to go to your backup option instead of starting with kind of your rotational, your platoon guys and just kind of saying, you know what? These guys will make their debuts when they're ready. Yeah, I think that's a big thing. Uh, and you mentioned the Twins, they have pretty good outfield depth right now anyways. So it's not like we need Kirilov to step in and, and play defense for us. Obviously, it'll be great to have him in the lineup whenever he gets up here. Um, but I think being patient is is something that we, we can handle, especially in a long MLB season. Um, you know, I, I think that the Twins, they're set up this year. I think, what, the White Sox were the favorite? In, they are still the, the favorite, national, yeah. By the national media standards uh, to, win the, the, to win the division. But And Vegas, I think, betting odds have them as the favorites too. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that goes, but they have a – they have a solid young team there in, in Chicago this year as well. Um, Twins have won it two years in a row now, I believe. Yep, going for um, the first three-peat since uh, 02, 03, 04. Well, let's hope. Uh, hopefully we can put another competitive season together, uh, get to the playoffs, and even if you don't win a series, win a game. God, just mean, how terrible would that be? I mean, just God forbid we, we, be, we don't look completely lost in the bright lights of October. Yeah, I mean, you know – that's a long ways away, so we won't touch on the playoffs too much uh, right now. But ultimately, I think going into every season from now on, that's going to be every on the back of every Twins fan's mind. It's just, you know what? Even if we get there and we win 152 games this year, are we still going to be good enough to win one of those games? Exactly. And you mentioned the White Sox. And I think that that's, you know, the White Sox had their, uh, one of their outfielders, Eloy Jimenez, a top prospect. He, he hit a really well last year. Um, you know, he hurt himself in spring training. He's going to be out for most of this season. He's not going to probably come back until August, um, which is a huge bull because the White Sox don't have depth. They're putting Adam Eaton out in the outfield. And if you don't know who Adam Eaton is, he's a guy who peaked as a player when he was with Chicago, like four years ago. He's, I mean, he's fine, but he's nothing special. Eloy Jimenez is a special player. And that's the thing is the twins are, the twins have the ability to tell, to tell Kirilov now stay down. We have a really good team around you uh, around, you know, we have a really good team at the major league level. We don't need you to come in and kind of try and push us over the top yet and come in, you know, get some at bats in triple a dominate with the new dominate in a St. Paul saints uniform, which is weird to say. Um, and, uh, and come up when you're ready. And the White Sox don't have that luxury. They are not deep. Um, the White Sox, uh, I'm going to go off on a tire here, but the White Sox are overrated. I'm, I'm sorry. They are a good team. They have a lot of good players. They revamped their pitching staff. They brought in uh, Twins legend, Lance Lynn, and, uh, and they brought in uh, Liam Hendricks, also a Twins legend. Um, 
uh, I remember Liam Hendricks with the twins couldn't do anything. All of a sudden he leaves Minnesota and all of a sudden becomes one of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, but well, that's uh, weird. I've never yeah. heard of a player leaving a Minnesota sports franchise and becoming better than they were when they were here. Especially with the previous regime before uh, kind of the twins brought in uh, Falvey and Levine to run the front office and then Rocco uh, to kind of manage the dugout. Um, they just couldn't develop pitching. And, and now all of a sudden the twins can turn an Uber driver into one of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, well, not one of the best pitchers in baseball, but one of the, kind of the most up and coming uh, kind of success stories in baseball is Randy Dobnek, a guy who the twins uh, gave a $500 contract to uh, in 2019. They uh, get, you know, they called him up <clears throat> from the minors because they, in 2019, because all their minor league guys got hurt and they needed somebody to come up. Randy Dobnek plays well enough to start a playoff game at Yankee stadium and all that kind of stuff, and just became a really solid MLB player. Now signed a five-year, nine-plus-million-dollar contract to basically give him kind of that uh, job security and uh, kind of pay for the next few years. So I think that, you know, the Twins have shown they can develop pitching. And the thing about the White Sox is is the Twins have pitching depth. They have outfield depth. um, They have a a lot of – they have a lot of prospect depth. Um, I think – and it just shows that this Twins team is deeper than the White Sox. They are better coached than the White Sox. Tony La Russa um, was managing games before Rocco Baldelli was even born. Um, he's been managing since like the early 80s. And I mean, he just, I mean, I know he last won the World Series 10 years ago with the Cardinals, but I mean, I just don't see it. I, I really think that with a, he's a very old manager, very old school, and he has a lot of young players who I don't think will resonate to the way he runs a team. And so they're very boomer bust in that aspect. Um, I just think the White Sox are highly overrated and the national media is playing them up because it's a Chicago team and they need to play it up. Yeah, that could be true. Um, you know, it's a team that ha- they had decent success last year. They made a run at that division title. Um, but, you know, it's a team that has nothing that's proven at least too much so far uh, that, that, everybody just assumes it's going to take that jump. Um, but you brought up Dobnak and the pitching. I know uh, Maeda, I think, is getting the opening day start, right? Yep. Uh, we've got Barrios and then Dobnak uh, on the rotation. Take me through that rotation a little bit. Well, Dobnak's going to start the season in the bullpen, but he will be – I feel like oh. he will be in the rotation at some point this season. He's been mostly a starter. Um, but uh, it looks like the way the Twins are going to roll is it looks like they're going to roll with, uh, obviously, Maeda, Barrios, one of the best – I mean, one of the best one-two tandems in baseball, certainly the Twins' best one-two tandem since Johan Santana and Francisco Liriano in 2006. And, uh, you know, just there's a – and then afterwards you got J.A. Happ, who uh, played last played with the Yankees, um, also had some time in Toronto. The Twins have liked him for a long time. They tried to get him when he signed with the Yankees. Um, Now he's going to replace Rich Hill as the lefty in the rotation. And then you have uh, Michael Pineda, um, who's uh, been solid for the Twins, had a tough time staying on the mound with injuries and suspension. But, uh, you know, when he's on, he's a, he's a very solid pitcher, a very solid mid-rotation guy you can have. Um, and then that kind of fifth spot has been given to Matt Schumacher, uh, who pitched with the Blue Jays last season. And he kind of the same story. When he's healthy, he's really good, having a hard time staying healthy. Um, kind of what happens with that fifth rotation spot as the year goes on, we'll see. I could see Dobnak kind of over the course of the season uh, getting a start also with a uh, double headers um, could be getting a start uh, kind of that sixth starter, kind of that long reliever. 
um, kind of guy. And I think the twins believe that next season he can be a starter. Um, they want to kind of develop him a little bit more. Um, and I think this twins rotation is one. I mean, last year, the twins rotation was good because Maeda had a darn near Cy Young caliber season. Barrios was solid, um, not up to his usual standards, but still good. And, uh, yeah. And, and I think with this twins rotation, I think that, uh, they're they're one of the, they're better than they were last season. Rich Hill was fine, but he wasn't that good. You could just always wait for things to blow up on him. J.A. Happ, um, I think, is better because he's just a little bit younger than Rich Hill. Um, and you'll still have Michael Pineda, that fifth spot. I think the Twins will be fine with. Um, I, I'm sad that they didn't bring back Odorizzi. He now he's now with the Astros, but uh, but you know what? I think that uh, they'll have a solid team. I think the bullpen is really solid. The Twins brought in former White Sox closer Alex Colomay. Uh, to take over that role. So, so him and Taylor Rogers will split that up a bit um, kind of in that late inning. And uh, you know, you got some young guys in the bullpen, like Jorge Alcala, obviously with Randy Dobnak, you have, um, you know, um, blanking on the name, um, Cody Stashak. You have some of those guys kind of trying to kind of break in uh, Tyler Duffy had a really good 2020. I'm hoping now with a larger sample size that he can be good. I think the twins have a, I mean, I think when the twins hired Falvey and Levine, they hired them because of their ability to develop pitching. Um, when you look at uh, Derek Falvey, um, uh, he came from Cleveland, and the Indians are known for their ability to just churn out pitchers. Um, you know, obviously, you look at uh, Trevor Bauer, you look at Shane Bieber, you look at Mike Clevenger, you um, just so many guys around the league um, that came from Cleveland and just were turned out to be good pitching prospects. Falvey comes here. The twins have a great, uh, they just know how to develop pitching. I mean, they can take an Uber driver and turn him into a solid reliever slash starter. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, you brought up Pineda and <clears throat> I think it was 2019 for his suspension. Um, I thought he was pitching uh, probably maybe the best in the rotation. He had a good case to be a number one playoff starter. That might've been due to uh, why he got suspended. But I'm excited to see if he can get maybe back to that level because if he can, that would be another dangerous pitcher to have in that rotation. Exactly. The Twins have a they have a lot of options, um, kind of with uh, kind of with this team. They have a lot of things that they can do. Michael Pineda is a solid number three starter who, like you said, when he's on, can you know maybe be a number two starter. May, you know he made his case that year uh, when Barrios was struggling a little bit to be the Twins number. He probably would have been the Twins number one starter in the postseason. Um, you know, if he didn't get suspended. So um, I think that it's just a huge thing for this team to kind of have this pitching depth. I think, you know, this is something that twins fans have not seen in a very long time, not since 2006 um, when you had a, a pitching staff this deep. So I think that there's a lot to be excited about. Kenta Maeda would have won the Cy Young last season if it wasn't for Shane Bieber, just going unreal uh, on everybody and uh, winning the Cy Young. So I think that, uh, I, I think that Kenta, there might be a little bit of regression, but uh, people were mad when the twins traded Bruce Dark Gratterall to the, uh, to the Dodgers. They thought that they gave up a flame throwing pitcher and turns out they had one in Jorge Alcala anyways, and they liked him more um, gave him Ken. And then they got Kenta Maeda, who's a solid vet, a lot of playoff experience. I mean, um, you just look at him in the clubhouse guys love him. Um, he was hitting bombs at batting practice yesterday. So you know, you know I, I think I predicted a Maeda home run today. So we'll see. About that. Let's go. All right. Uh, so I guess the biggest thing is I predict this team to be 90 plus wins. Um, I think that they're going to win the division and God forbid, maybe a playoff game. 
Yeah, that was my next question for you, I guess, is uh, what's your prediction for the team? But I guess we got that wrapped up. 90-plus wins, that'd be a good stretch. 85-plus, uh, just get into the playoffs. I mean, you know, it'd be nice uh, to win the division. Um, it's really early in the season, so I'll, I'll say it too. Let's go win the division. Uh, expectations will change, I guess, after the first month or so, and then, you know, another month goes by. But for now, we'll, we'll focus on winning that division, winning as many games as possible. And last thing I'll touch on, and then we'll move into some Wolves, and then we'll move into kind of a, a quick Wolves talk, and then uh, kind of just quick with the Vikings. Um, just kind of, uh, this Twins team is very, they have a lot of question marks, or they kind of have a lot of wild cards in the sense of, is Josh Donaldson going to be healthy? How will Jorge Polanco play at second base? Um, how will Andrelton Simmons be a shortstop? Obviously, the Twins brought him in because he's a gold glove winner, and after Jorge Polanco's error in the playoffs last year that cost them game one, they needed to upgrade at shortstop. Uh, pushes Luis Arise to kind of be a, util- a super utility player, kind of what Marwin Gonzalez was. Um, so it'll be, a, you know, kind of the catching situation with Garver and Jeffers. It looks like they're kind of going to tandem that, just have them kind of going back and forth. Um, Where's Gonzalez at? Do we still have him? No, he's with Boston now. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the Twins kind of have a lot of – they also don't have Erie Adrians anymore, so they kind of lost a couple guys. Um be interesting to see how they, they do. They still obviously have Sano, they have Kepler, they have Polanco, they have a lot of kind of those main staple guys. Um, so we'll just kind of see how the season goes from there. And uh, just kind of now moving into the uh, to the Wolves quick, uh, looks like Chris Finch is kind of st- trying to find his stride with the team. And it looks like the Wolves last draft, it looks like the 2020 uh, draft for them was a home run when you look at uh, Anthony Edwards and when you look at their next pick with McDaniels. Yeah, McDaniels has been somebody that that at least Twitter has really loved. I mean, they they like McDaniels, and and obviously Ant has been phenomenal. Um, it, it's an interesting season because we got to try to keep that pick. So you wanna you wanna see the guys win and, and have some success and show that there's gelling and there's something working there. But at the same time, you don't want to lose your first round pick for this next draft of the Warriors. Um, so you got to try to keep it in that. Uh, in that range for the top three, uh, at least, you know, with the lottery, it's going to be tough anyways. Uh, who knows what could happen? Yeah. But, and um, I, I think if Jalen Suggs stays on the West coast and goes to golden state, I'm, you know, I'm just, uh, it's another just big loss to Minnesota's basketball talent uh, staying home. But uh, you know, I, I think the wolves need to keep that pick. I know there'll be some people that'll say, I don't care if they keep the pick, if they, if they can gel with cat Edwards, D and obviously role players like Beasley McDaniels, then they can, then they kind of have something there and then try and maybe make a trade or kind of try and go somewhere in free agency. Maybe, but if you can stack one more good young player on this team, if you can bring in a Cade Cunningham, if you can bring in a Jalen Suggs, this team will go to another level. And I think that's the biggest thing you've seen, so far, Beasley came back from suspension, hit a big three last night to beat uh, Tibbs in his Minnesota return. Um, so I, ju- I think that there's a lot of – it's weird because this is a team that has a lot of good young pieces, but there's still just so many question marks with a new coach and with a developing kind of roster. I mean, there's still people who are clamoring for the Wolves to just blow it up again. Um, but I think you got to see this through. I mean, D'Lo – I think the D'Lo experiment has been a failure, but, I, I mean, you still have to try and give it – a chance when he comes back, kind of put him in with Finch and with uh cat Edwards, all that kind of stuff. But I think the wolves so far, I think that's the biggest question mark for the rest of the season is can they keep the pick? I, the pessimist in me says, no, that I'm not going to try and get my hopes up that they're going to keep, they're going to keep that pick. Just kind of the wolves already got lucky winning the draft lottery last year. 
the law of averages will stay. They'll have to go back to earth. But I think that's about it for my Wolves takes. You got any? Um, got anything you want to dump off? Yeah, I think it could be maybe an interesting off season to watch. Um, <clears throat> Rosas, he he's shown already that he likes to blow things up um, and and really make some moves. So it's, I'm not predicting anything specific, but um, I've heard reports that potentially could be moving D'Lo, maybe even Cat in the off season. Uh, who knows? Yeah. And obviously they tried to trade for John Collins. They wanted Malik Beasley and McDaniels. Rosas told him no. And I think that kind of shows that Rosas is confident in the guys he's drafted and he really wants to kind of try and uh, try and kind of see what these guys have. Now, of course, that's what they say after the trade deadline, they didn't make any moves. And they're like, well, we just want to see the roster we have. Uh, that meant you couldn't get the trade you wanted. So now that's, you know, you can revert to that answer, but uh, it'll be interesting to watch at least give some kind of storyline to watch the wolves because boy, can they, can they drive you crazy watching them? But uh, anyway, moving on to our final uh, part of this uh, podcast here, uh, talking some Vikings and the Vikings we thought was going to be a team that wouldn't be busy at all in free agency. And turns out they made quite a bit of moves on the defensive side of the ball and just continue to ignore the offensive line. Um, They bring in Patrick Peterson um, to kind of bring in that veteran in the room. They bring in Xavier Woods to replace Anthony Harris, who went to Philadelphia. Um, they bring in Dalvin Tomlinson to kind of shore up the defensive line, um, kind of make that new Williams wall with him and Michael Pierce, who's going to come back now um, for this season. And uh, yeah, I think that there's just a, there's a lot of question marks with this team, I think um, still, but I think one thing's for sure. Zimmer hated his 2020 defense and is going to make sure that, no matter what happens, this defense is not going to be as bad as it was the year before. Yeah. Um, and well, let's hope not. Um, obviously if, if, um, if it all works out, the defense should be a little bit better. Um, I mean, we didn't have that much money to work with. I, I see these people getting upset, like, Oh my gosh, why didn't we go after a lineman or, or, or get something else? You know, we don't need to help the offense that much outside of the offensive line. And a lot of these guys, um, on the offensive line that are worth signing. We're going for pretty big bucks. I know the Chargers signed Corey Lindsley and Matt Filer. Those were two of the big offensive line names that were out there. Um, Joe Thune costed, going to the Chiefs. Yep, but all those guys costed more than the Vikings could shell out. So there's really nothing that they could have done. Um, so, you know, getting this guy, the guys like uh, uh, Pat Pete from um, Arizona, veteran guy, he's going to help the, the secondary. Um Maybe, you know, even if he's, he's fallen off a little bit in terms of speed and, and in terms of, um, you know, his natural ability, uh, he's still going to be a guy maybe like that Terrence Newman a couple of years ago that really helped that secondary uh, from a veteran standpoint. Yeah, and I th- and like you said, I think that's a good point to bring up is the Vikings had a lot of holes, and I don't think they could have just shelled out all of their money and said, you know, we got one off, we got a, we got one guard and then, then they just kind of ignore the glare, the holes on their defense. And then they, you know, kind of the things with the, you know, with still with the rest of their offensive line. So I think the Vikings did a really good job with what they had. Um, I mean, they had like, basically they had, they were negative uh, in the cap. So they were over the cap uh, kind of once the salary cap was revealed that it went down from the year before because of COVID. Um, and you can see a lot of teams kicking money down the road, I mean, the, as everybody wants to talk about Tampa Bay and Tom Brady with his contract and everything and, and all the deals they are making, they're returning all of their starters from last season, but uh, they're kicking a lot of dead money 
down the road and they're going to have to pay it. Um, obviously they're, uh, they're basically saying, we don't care about four years from now. We just want to win one more with Tom Brady um, or five more. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but uh, you know, basically they're kicking the can down the road because everybody, the NFL just signed a $100 billion TV deal for the next 10 years. So they are basically just kind of kicking the can down the road and hoping that the salary cap shoots back up in the next few years. Um, nobody's in the case of the new Orleans saints who are, hundred million dollars over the cap or something unreal like that um, who can, who franchise tag one of their players. So I don't know how they're going to make that work, but uh, the Vikings did a lot kind of reduce uh, cutting Riley reef, cutting Kyle Rudolph. Um, when you look at uh, uh, restructuring Anthony Barr's contract, I believe they restructured Thielen's contract. So, I mean, there's just a lot of things to go around that the Vikings did to create cap space. Um, and we'll, and we'll just kind of see what happens. I think that this defense is, this defense looks a lot better now. Um, Gladney and Dantzler will take that next step. They had no mini camp. They had no in-person mini camp training camp. They had no preseason games. They kind of had to learn on the fly, how to be an NFL corner with no veteran in the room, which the Vikings definitely regret doing, um, this season. That's why they bring in Pat Pete. Um, Pat Pete will be a number two corner. Uh, you bring it back Mackenzie Alexander. That's underrated because he's going to go back. He's going to play that slot mm-hmm. corner, which means that you can focus on Gladney and Dantzler being strictly on the outside. And then you can try and develop them that way. Um, so I think this, and then Xavier Woods replacing that safety spot. Big reason he came here. He wanted to play next to Harrison Smith. Um, Dalvin Tomlinson. I, I really love the Tomlinson signing. One of the most underrated free agent signings of the Zimmer era was Linval Joseph. They tried to do that with Michael Pierce. He couldn't play last season. But when you put Dalvin Tomlinson, who's a smart guy, he turned down a scholarship at Harvard to go play for Alabama. So he's a very smart guy. Um, put him next to Michael Pierce. Um, Steven Weatherly comes back. Um, you know, you'll kind of have to figure out maybe him and DJ Wanham kind of split one side. Daniil Hunter, I know there's a lot of money talk. The Vikings will work it out. They're not letting him go. Um, you know, so this Vikings defense is going to be a lot better. Um, I think the one question is the offensive line and they brought, they traded for uh, Mason Cole from the Cardinals. It's more of a depth signing. They bring back Rashad Hill who coming back probably expects to try and compete for that left tackle spot. Um, They bring back Dakota Dozier, God help us all. Um, And uh, you know, I, I, I think the Vikings are, everything should point to the Vikings taking an offensive lineman at 14, but for whatever reason, I, I just know that they're going to take a pass rusher at 14. Well, uh, I, I think they should definitely look at the line in the draft. I don't think that's any question. Um, they have some good defensive linemen, but you know what? That's just Zimmerman and, and that's Spielman. And they're like, hey, this guy's still available. We should, uh, we should snag him up. Um, it does sound like something they would do. Um, Zimmer mentioned it yesterday in his press conference. He kind of said that they've that with their free agent moves, it opens them up to take best player available, which means he's basically telling everybody – to be prepared. Yeah. Um, I, I think it'll be interesting. The draft is, is, is coming up. It's about a month away ish, right? And a little bit less, I think. Yeah. Late April. Yeah. So that's exciting news. I mean, it's always, always exciting when the draft is rolling around, you know, you get excited for your team and oh, wonder what they're going to do. And then the night of you, you see their pick and you're like, Oh, what is that? But I think the Vikings have done pretty well, at least in the first couple of drafts or the last couple of drafts. Um, finding players, whether it be in the first round or maybe later on in the rounds, that can be at least decent role players. I think the f- two first-round picks we had last year, uh, I think they've worked out pretty well so far. Um, 
I believe it was was it Gladney or Dancer we got in the first round? Uh, Gladney we got in the first round. Dancer we got in the third round. In the third round. So yeah, um, I think both of those guys, uh, Jefferson, obviously, you know, he he worked out pretty well. Um, and then I think both of those young corners uh, are going to turn into pretty good players. Um, I just think it's hard to throw a rookie corner in there um, and expect them to keep up with NFL talent receivers right away. Yeah. And I think, you know, year two of Zimmer, um, that's when Xavier Rhodes really started to show development. Um, I think, you know, there's just it NFL corner. It takes at least two seasons, I think, until you really start to hit your stride. Um, it's just a tough position. The rules are against you. Um, you don't really get a lot of time in practice to really kind of perfect your craft. Um, it's a passing league. Um, so I, I, you know, you're going against the NFL wide receivers are bigger and better than they've ever been. So rarely do you see a Jalen Ramsey or a Marcus Peters where you just show up right away and you can play. I mean, guys like Trey Waynes took two to three years before they kind of hit their stride with the Vikings. So, um, you know, I think it was unrealistic for some people to expect Gladney and Dantzler to play well right away. Dantzler showed a little bit of promise. I think PFF graded him as one of the best uh, rookie uh, defensive backs in last year's draft based on this year's performance. So there's a lot to like about those two guys. And then with Pat Pete being in the room, I think, just really helps a lot. Um, you know, obviously Pep, he wanted to come to the Vikings because of Zimmer's record uh, with defensive backs and kind of getting the most out of them. So it'll be interesting to see um, uh, kind of what the Vikings do there. But I think in the draft, I think this is a, a good draft for offensive linemen. I think there's a lot of good, uh, especially with all the quarterbacks in the draft. So they're going to take up a lot of the space early. San Francisco just traded up uh, to number three to take a quarterback. The first three picks of this draft, could very well be a quarterback. So, <clears throat> I mean, there's just a, there's a lot kind of a, there's a lot of question marks still, but I think that the Vikings will be in a good position to draft a starting caliber offensive tackle that can plug and play in left, in left tackle. Maybe you put Rashad Hill in there to start and let him work in. But, you know, if you have a rookie left tackle and then you have Brian O'Neill at the right tackle, you have Bradbury at guard, you have Ezra Cleveland at one of the guards, and then you just kind of try and, you know, again, maybe they draft another guard. Maybe they try and see what they have. They still have a lot of holes with Reef being gone. Maybe the Vikings, they love swapping. They love switching positions on offensive linemen, which never works out for them, but they'll keep doing it. Um, you know, I could maybe they draft a guy to play guard and then they have Rashad Hill play tackle. And that's how they roll with it because they kind of band-aid the offensive line. And I think that's the biggest thing for the Vikings. I think if the Vikings fail this season, it'll be because once again, they decided to band-aid the offensive line and it failed spectacularly. Do you have any prospects in mind uh, for the draft for the Vikings specifically at 14, or do you see them maybe making a, a trade or something? To, what, what's your prediction for that? I, I, I could see Spielman trading back. I could, I could see him trading back to try and get more picks. The Vikings don't have a second round pick because they traded it for unique and Gakwe. Now they have an extra third round pick because they traded him to the Ravens but you still don't have a second round pick. Um, Spielman loves having a bunch of day three picks to kind of throw darts at a board and that quantity over quality kind of uh, mentality that he has. Um, I think Elijah Vera Tucker is that tackle out of USC. I think realistically he's there for the Vikings. I think Slater, the tackle out of uh, Northwestern who showed off at his pro day by lifting an unreal amount of weight um, shows that he can, he's strong enough to play tackle. He's big enough to play tackle. Um, so I think that, you know, those are two guys. I, I think the Vikings should really take Slater out of Northwestern. He's a big 10 guy knows how to, you know, can block in the run in the past played in the cold, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think that 
I think that if I'm the Vikings, I try and take Slater, but I could very well see Spiel. I don't see Spielman trading up unless they really love an offensive lineman and they feel like there's going to be a run on them. But even then, the Vikings in 2018 had a run on offensive lineman in the second round and they stayed pat. And then they ended up drafting Brian O'Neill. So I guess in the end, it, it wasn't a failure. But I mean, the Vikings, I don't think will trade up. Uh, I think that if they do anything, it's trade back or trade. They trade down from 14 or they trade back into the first round. Well, McShay just released a, another mock draft uh, about five hours ago, and he has Rashawn Slater from Northwestern going at number 14 to the Minnesota Vikings. So I would be very happy if that's how that worked out. But the pick before, he has Penny Asul for the Los Angeles Chargers. So that would be a little frustrating, I think, for Vikings fans, knowing that Penny Sewell fell that far, just one spot uh, in front of him. You know, reunite him with Herbert. What can I say? That's that's what it says here. He was balking for Justin Herbert in 2019 in Oregon. So uh, let's reunite them, it says. Yeah. I mean, you can see a lot of there, keep them on the West coast and all that kind of stuff. I think one last thing we'll touch on here with the Vikings is the NFL adds a 17th regular season game, um, you know, because they just really love the competitive aspect and they really want to give teams another chance and, and they want to make more money. Yep. That's definitely it. That is 100%. Uh, Players get an extra game it. check. Um, teams get an extra game of ticket revenue, TV revenue, merchandise. Um, and the most important part is that the Super Bowl weekend is a now President's Day weekend, which the NFL has wanted for a very long time. So that way people who are watching the Super so they're Bowl. Not starting the, the, they're not starting the season earlier. They're just pushing it later. Yep. Okay. They want okay. the president's day weekend because they want people to be like, Oh, I don't have to go to work tomorrow. Or like kids don't have to go to school tomorrow. So they're going to stay up late to watch the game. Pretty clutch. I'm not going to lie to you. They've been wanting that for at least the last 10 years. I, I, I respect that move. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, and they probably weren't going to have a two week period between the super bowl and the championship game, just because there's just a, or that kind of extra, I know they put the, the Pro Bowl between the Super Bowl. They're not going to have an extra week uh, because people just won't be interested anymore. Uh, So they got to capitalize on that. Um, So, you know, I think overall, I think that, I think it's a good move money-wise. The players get an extra game check. Um, It's going to be a little bit more wear on the bodies. It's going to be weird that uh, we can no longer make eight and eight jokes about the Cowboys. Um, So rip. Eight and nine. You know, eight and nine, nine and eight. Seven and ten. That's gonna be weird. All the math is gonna all the math of like judging teams now is gonna be the Chicago Bears, though, uh went through this entire stretch of the 16 game season without having a guy throw for more than five thousand or I think it was four thousand yards in a season. It was four thousand. I sent it to my mom. She's a big Bears fan, and uh I got a grumpy face in return. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a tough time, but That's hey, kind of weird. I, I would have figured Jay Cutler use there at least two, three years. I would have thought one. Yeah, they year had we, some pretty good with Alshon Jeffrey and all that. I guess kind of he was he was a little injury prone though, so he might have missed too much time to get to that four thousand mark. Yeah, but I mean, they made the NFC Championship game though in two thousand ten. So he would have mm-hmm. thought that he would have at least been able to do something there but you know i I mean you know that's just kind of you had to try to beat aaron Rodgers. you know that was because cutler got injured in that game so Mm -hmm. so thanks jay cutler the aaron Rodgers has a super bowl because of you yeah because of you because of you and you only and and the steelers defense imploding uh, that that too but uh anyway um i think you know the bears i mean they got andy dalton now so i think their quarterback position is all set 
I mean, hey, he beat the Vikings. I would still say the Vikes have the second best quarterback in the division. I, I think Goff is – well, actually, now I would say I, – I would have said third best when Stafford was here. I think Cousins is a little bit better than Goff. We'll see how he does. We'll see um, how he does away from Sean McVay. It was interesting because the guys on KFAN about a week ago were talking about Jared Goff um, and some of, the, some of the fallout that he had with uh, McVay at the end of his time there. And McVay, they were talking about maybe McVay's head got a little too big for him. Um, because he came in and he was the best young thing. And now maybe he's thinking he is, you know, look at me, look at me. I'm, a, I'm an offensive genius. Um, and I think they were talking about maybe he was doing a little bit too much for his quarterback's capabilities. Maybe Jared Goff, you know, at, a, at some point, what, when do you say, hey, my quarterback can't do this. I have to restructure my offense to, to work with him better. And I think maybe that was, maybe that was some of what the Rams did wrong. And we'll see how Goff does in, in, uh, in Detroit, but uh, I think if Detroit's not really a factor with Stafford, I don't know what uh, Jared Goff's going to do to help him out, but we'll see. Yeah, and, and I think too, I think coaches do that a lot. Coaches kind of buy into the my system kind of thing, and especially those kind of young hotshots. When you look at the Josh McDaniels when he was in Denver, when you look at um, some of these uh, Chip Kelly, uh, kind of when you think of some of these offensive minds um you can have your own system but your system needs to be adaptable to the players you have um but i think too i think goff was very limited i think you know mcveigh would have to tell goff the audibles if you remember um you know in the when the rams first kind of broke out in 2017 um, mcveigh would just basically like they get to the line super early and mcveigh would audible the call for goff so when zimmer so zimmer picked up on it and was like okay we're just going to audible we're going to audible our defense as soon as the like because the headset turns off uh, after 25 seconds on the play clock. So Zimmer's like, we're just going to readjust at the last second and uh, proved because they stuffed McVay and Goff that game in 2017. So, um, you know, I think that uh, I think it'll be interesting now with Stafford. I think Stafford's a gun. He's a, he's probably the last true gunslinger we're really going to ever have, um, you know, in this kind of modern NFL that doesn't love throwing interceptions and taking chances kind of with the ball. So uh, I think it'll be interesting now when you kind of put him in, in LA, I think Jared Goff's going to be fine. I don't think he's going to be anything amazing. special in Detroit. If, if the 49ers traded up to get a quarterback, that division is going to be loaded with quarterback talent. I mean, what do they got now? They've got Stafford, um, Russell Wilson. Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson. Murray, and then, you know, a potential uh, – well, let's see who McVay has them taken. Uh, let's just use that. Mac Jones – oh, Mac Jones from Alabama? What the – yeah, I, I don't see it. People say that it's the Shanahan type of quarterback, but Shanahan said in the past that he that, you know, maybe his view on quarterbacks needs to change. I think they're taking Justin Fields. Yeah, I would agree. I don't know what. So this is weird, right? The Fields situation. Justin Fields was the undisputed number two up until after he played lights out in the national semifinal. And now everybody's talking about Zach Wilson and, Oh, maybe Mac Jones and Trey Lance. I, I still think that, that, um, and I hope that this doesn't happen. Todd McShay has, uh, Justin Fields falling to number 11. And then he has the Patriots trading up with the giants to get Justin Fields at number 11. And I think that would just, it would extend the suffering that we have, um, for you know the last 20 years that we had to spend watching Brady with the Pats um, because I, I think Fields is going to be a good player. Yeah, and I think Ohio State quarterbacks have had kind of a tough go of it. 
lately, um, obviously with Dwayne Haskins, but Dwayne Haskins is not Justin Fields. Um, Dwayne Haskins didn't want to play football. You could tell he didn't really want to be a great quarterback. I know that that's the main critique on Justin Fields for some reason is that he doesn't want to play football, but if the Big Ten wouldn't have played football if it wasn't for Justin Fields. So I don't know where that critique is coming from. Uh, yeah, that's very true. It was pretty much Ohio State that that got them um, got them a season. Um, and Justin so, Fields was the one out there in the summer, like saying, I am getting behind this, like I am playing. So I, yeah, I, I don't understand where that's coming from. Well, it'll be interesting to see how the draft evolves and all the mocks and, and everything. And as you know, the top three is going to be interesting. Do the Jets stay with Sam Darnold or do they take a quarterback? I think they should stay with Darnold and trade their pick, but it, the best team to trade their pick with would have been the 49ers and they already missed that window. So we'll see what happens. Exactly. I think with Zach Wilson too, I think it's one of those cases where people fall in love with quarterbacks because they rewatch the tape and then they see the pro day. I mean, Zach Wilson, he's got a great arm. Um, He only really had one year where he kind of showed out. So it'll be interesting um, to kind of see. So did Trey Lance. He really only had one season. He's very young, very raw. Um, So I mean, with Mac Jones as well. And Mac Jones played one season of starting quarterback. He had the best wide receiver talent, best offensive line talent, best running back talent with him. Uh, but I guess that's just kind of the same with Joe Burrow. So, and he turned out to be pretty good for the Bengals and before his injury. So, and granted, we'll Mac Jones happens. did lead them to a national know. title where they just steamrolled everyone. So, well, you know, uh, I don't but know too much. About might be that. because Saban has an NFL JV team on his hands. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, are there any other draft takes? Any other Vikings takes we got? I think we've uh, about ran out. No, I think we've wrapped it up. All right. Sounds good. So, uh, you know, we'll be back here next week trying to uh, break down all that's going on in Minnesota sports. We'll have some Twins games, Wild games, Wolves games, more draft uh, kind of coverage that'll get going here. Um, don't really expect the Vikings to make any moves until draft day, but we'll see what happens. So uh, until next week, you've been listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.